I think that was the best game the Oklahoma defense has played all season long. With the exception of Iowa State's opening drive and Iowa State's final drive, series to series, that was the most in sync the OU defense has played maybe since Alex Grinch has been in Norman. All three levels were doing their jobs, and very well. The front was getting tons of pressure on Brock Purdy. The linebackers were reading their keys and filling their gaps. On pass plays, the backers were aware of their man or, even shockingly, their zone coverage responsibilities. And the secondary? The secondary was fantastic. Every single one of them. Up until the final series when Iowa State finally decided to pick on Justin Broyles on what seemed like every single snap. Seven sacks, 11 TFLs, three takeaways, one of which was returned for a touchdown. All of that against a very good Iowa State offense. Brees Hall, one of the best backs in the Big 12, if not the best back, was a non-factor aside from an incredible one-handed grab that extended an Iowa State drive in the fourth quarter. And what made Oklahoma's defensive performance even more impressive was the fact that they were on the field for nearly two-thirds of the game. Time of possession favored Iowa State 38 minutes to 22, and the Sooners held the Cyclones to a measly 4.1 yards per play. Oklahoma's defense has looked much more ready to play and much more prepared to play than Oklahoma's offense the last two games. We haven't seen that happen since, well, the Nebraska and the West Virginia games in consecutive weeks back in weeks three and week four. It's good to know that Alex Grinch's group has figured it out after looking absolutely dreadful for a four-game span in the middle of the season. But, of course, at the most important time of the year, against the best defenses Oklahoma has seen and will see in 2021, the offense is woefully below average. This is a weird Sooners team, a weird team that has somehow found a way to 10-1. and one. In fact, this isn't just a weird OU team. It's a historical weird OU team. They're the first Sooners team in program history to win six games in a season by seven or fewer points. Okay, yeah. cool, I guess. I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest. Birdie rolls right. Looking to throw, Benito gives chase, comes back left. Purdy still looking, sets up, pulls loose, rolling around in Iowa State territory. Redmond picked it up. Redmond on the run. Redmond scores. Oh, mama. Jalen Redmond, touchdown. Uh All right, here we go. Jalen Redmond, fumble return. Touchdown. Welcome to this, into this edition of West of Everest. Oklahoma beats Iowa State 28-21 to to improve to 10-1 on the season. Once again, I am Lee Benson. And let's jump right in. I'll welcome back my co-host, my co-podcast anchor? That's not right. Is there an anchor in radio or podcasting? Is that a thing? I think they're just hosts. So I, I think I would technically be a co-host or... Yeah. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Who cares? Radio, I should know this. Man, I should know this. Yeah, that's Grant, by the way. His voice. You guys know that. Uh, all right. So, first of all, I think that Jalen Redmond returning a fumble for a touchdown, Grant, and also playing a really good game. He was great. I think that was the uh, the logical conclusion. Hopefully not conclusion because there's more games left to play. 
but this is probably Jalen Redmond's last season at Oklahoma. And we have been a big Jalen Redmond podcast for years. And th- I think that that was for us. That was for you and me. Not, not the OU fan base, not the Oklahoma football team, just you and me on this podcast. Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, that was, that was the best play of the season. Um, and I don't, like, I don't think I'm being too over the top there. That was just, that was, I, I thought, the, the, the best play that the OU football team has had this season. It was defended extremely well. There were multiple people making really good plays. Um, and then and then it was just great. It was, it was great to see Jalen Redmond. Of course, you know, I mean, we know everything he's been through in his, his OU career. It's been, you know, it's, it's been less than smooth for sure. And so it's, it's good to see him score at least. And that was, like, that was an awesome play. That play was really cool. I, I, I mean, that was, that's a play that you see like elite type defenses making. And it was, it was nice to see him kind of flying around. There was, there was a part there kind of at the end where, you know, because that was right before halftime, I was thinking, Jesus, like, can that, can that be just kind of like the springboard? Can that be just like, can that just inspire everyone to come out and just play better? And, you know, for a lot of it, the defense continued to play really well after that. But uh, unfortunately, the offense just could not get out of its own way. But, uh, man, you, I mean, you hit it totally right uh, in your opening take. This is the weirdest OU team I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know how else to put it other than I, you, we have absolutely no idea what we're going to get from week to week. It wouldn't surprise me in the least bit if next week is like a surprise shootout. <laughs> like it would, you know, yeah. like that would be, I mean, that would be nuts, but of course it would be right on, you know, right on brand for the, the 2021 season. Uh, yeah, uh, that would surprise me the way the offense is playing right now and the way Oklahoma State's offense is playing right now but let's uh, we, we can talk about that at some other point I'm sure we will uh, this is the post-game podcast so let's talk about the game I mean there's there's so many things that I want to get into big picture wise moving forward but at the same time I'm not a big guy I don't like looking ahead because the game just ended and I love talking about games we just watched and so I ask you I talked about the defense in the opening take I thought that was the best defensive performance of the entire season it was the most consistent performance aside from the first series of the game by Iowa State, which was very scripted, and obviously Iowa State came out and got, you know, they had a – it was a very weird way to end that drive where they scored a touchdown the play, previous play. And then the final series of the game, the, the defense did not play all that well. But in between, I thought, was the best the defense has played all season long. Do you want to start with the defense, or do you want to start with the negative stuff, which is the offense uh, that I didn't touch on much in the opening take, but back-to-back weeks where the offense has kind of looked – uh, it, it played better than it did against Baylor, but still, it kind of looked the same as it did against Baylor, save for a couple of series here and there. Where do you want to begin? Uh, let's, I mean, let's start with the defense, just because we're we're kind of already there. And I, I mean, I agree with you. I, um, I actually, it was actually, I was texting you right when the fake punt was happening. I, I, I was, I was writing out a text you saying this is by far the best game the defense has played all season. Um, and you, I mean, you were right. You hit on it. They were good at every single level. I thought they were sticky in coverage for the most part until the very end of the game. The defensive line harassed Iowa State's front consistently the entire time. And I mean, I thought the linebackers were really good. Brian, Brian Osamoa was awesome. You know, that was that that may have been Brian Osamoa's best game as a Sooner. And he I mean, he's been he's been great the last 2 weeks really for the most no, part. No, last no, he was better he was better against Baylor. Uh, you that, thought he was better? His Baylor, he was yeah, yeah. I, I I thought Deshaun White stood out more than Osamoa. Deshaun White played well game. too. Deshaun, good to see him back. But yeah, Osamoa. I mean, everybody played well. Uh, that that's the thing is like 
I know a lot of, uh, we'll get to three-word reviews later. I, I think there's some Justin Broyles hate in the three-word reviews. And don't, don't get me wrong or this podcast wrong. We've obviously been very critical of Justin Broyles a lot this season, but I, he played pretty well against Iowa State, save for the final series when they started picking on him. Uh, everybody in the secondary played really well. And, and I guess we were talking about the linebackers, but the, the thing is, watching that game in the first quarter, Iowa State started picking on DJ Graham, and Alex Grinch yanked him, and it was Key Lawrence and Woody Washington the rest of the way. And DJ Graham got got his butt benched, and I mean, he, from also, that he was also on, hurt. He didn't. He didn't oh, he was play. hurt. Oh, yeah, he was in street clothes in the second half. Okay, so maybe he got. I mean, I don't know if he got benched because he was injured, or if I, I assumed it was for bad play because he was getting picked on and he didn't look very very sharp. And when Key came in for him. He was really good, and Woody Washington was like, I don't even know why they throw his way. They, they threw his you – could, you could make one critique on Woody Washington in that game, and he technically was on Chase Allen, on Chase Allen's touchdown. But you have a corner, and Woody Washington's not the biggest guy in the world, lined up man against an inline tight end as big as Chase Allen, and he's running a drag route across the field, which is a very difficult route to defend as a man-on-man player. And he – I mean, okay, I – it's difficult for him to bring that guy down when he's going full speed. Like I, yes, that was on Woody Washington, but not a lot of players are gonna gonna stop him. I think in that potential scenario, that's like the one critique on Woody Washington that entire game. I thought. Yeah, I mean, and sure, yeah, I mean, I, I don't really have anything bad to say about the secondary at all. I don't have anything bad to say about the defense. I thought, I thought every play that Iowa State made was them making a play, was them making an outstanding play a lot of the time. Um, you know, this was. It was I, I was I was really encouraged by the defense, which makes it even more frustrating that they can't match up the two sides of the ball uh, playing so well. But yeah, I mean, this was I this was by far the fastest the defense has looked all year. This was the most prepared I thought they had looked all season. Um, how much of it was because you know Iowa State's offensive line is just not very good? I mean, maybe some of it, but also they nobody has shut down Iowa State like that play to play consistently all season like that. They really haven't. Um, and like Iowa State really did nothing off they, the, um, the three drives where they scored and then plus kind of when they got into the red zone at the end of the game, that's all they did the entire game. They, the other drives, they were pretty much, I'm not gonna say three and out, but they, they were punting and they were, they were struggling to move the ball on every other drive. Yeah. That you mentioned the fake punt a little bit ago. And I mean, what a disaster of a special teams play by Oklahoma, in such an obvious fake situation, everybody just falls asleep. And my thing is, if you're, I mean, they don't, they still don't really have a special teams coach. I know Shane Beamer technically was not the special teams coach, but he was a special teams coach. It wasn't part of his actual role. And he's gone now. I can't remember who's really in charge of it now, honestly. I, I know they've mentioned it before. But in that situation, I don't know how every, like, you're sending the punt team or the punt return team on the field. How are you not saying, Hey, watch the fake, watch the fake, watch the fake. I mean, it was like kind of towards the middle of the field, and it was only, I think it was fourth and seven. And I, it just, the way the defense was playing. And when that happened, and I think uh, the broadcast said it, that was the longest play of the day for Iowa State. <laughs> that was their biggest play of the day up to that point. And I'm not sure if they got a bigger play than that the rest of the afternoon. I think that was their longest play of the day. The day. That, was their, that was their and, only play I, over 25 uh, yards, I think. So that, I mean, what a, 
and I think they ended up scoring on that drive. Did they end up turning that into a touchdown? I have a yes. I logged they, the entire then, game. So yeah. they actually got after the fake punt. They got him into to fourth down, and then that's when the the Brees Hall over the shoulder oh. one handed catch happened. And you know what? Hey, that's just that's just stupid. That just happens sometimes. They made a good play. It was a busted play. The quarterback, the lefty quarterback, was just kind of running for his life. He just threw one up, and Brees Hall, who is going to be playing on Sundays next year. Made a spectacular play. Uh, you know, that's one of those things that I just, I'm not, you know, of course, when I was watching the game, I was kind of throwing my hands up thinking like, all right, is this, is like, I mean, is that's what, is, is this how this is going to kind of go now? They're going to just sort of make every play that they need to down the stretch. I know everybody was thinking the exact same thing. Everyone. I think everyone watching that game, right, after they scored, um, after the fake punt, everyone was thinking, "Oh my God, Iowa State is gonna is gonna win this game with a two point conversion, aren't they? They're gonna do it." Like I yeah. think everyone everyone was thinking that that they get their revenge for what two years ago in 2019, whenever the they went they went for two and Parnell Motley got the PBU or the interception, I think, in the end zone. Uh, yeah, and that's the thing. I was like going into this game on this podcast. You and I were very uneasy about this game and the way the game played out. It's it's very frustrating that the defense played that well and once again Iowa State was a couple plays away from having a chance to win the game with a two-point conversion and and that's that's just the way this team is going and you can file that into the this team is super weird category I I I did a radio hit on Thursday morning and you know on on this podcast earlier in the week we you and I didn't really have a a strong play we didn't pick the game because I didn't really know what to pick and I do a radio show every Thursday morning, and they always ask me for a pick, so I was on the spot, and I, I picked OU to lose the game. I didn't feel good about it. I just didn't feel good about everything swirling around, and I'm glad I was wrong. You know, I always say, I hope I'm wrong about that, and I, and I was wrong about that, but the way the game played out, uh, I, I guess I was uh, – I, I, I didn't feel as crazy about having all the uneasy feelings the way the game played out. Even though Oklahoma's defense played fantastic, Iowa State still could have won the football game, which – is frustrating, but at this point, I guess the way our, our expectations should be for this Oklahoma team, Grant, uh, maybe that was the game where I'm kind of like, all right, well, uh, this is certainly, certainly not a national championship team. It, it's, it's definitely not a playoff team either. It, it just isn't. I mean, they still could make the playoff. They could, there's still a path there, but boy, oh boy, oh boy, man, that, that didn't seem uh, – It. I mean, it, I'm not sure if it's likely. I'm not sure if I even want to see this team up against the Georgia, even though I know we've had this debate, debate before uh, about the playoff and whatever. Does, we can talk about that later. Uh, but I guess, you know, expectation-wise, I guess game to game. Let's see what happens against, against Oklahoma State. Uh, and we'll get there. But, sorry, I'm jumping ahead. Um, okay, so th- anything else? What's the next thing? Defense. Uh, do you want to talk about how, how they – how they basically slowed down Brees Hall. I mean, that had to have been Brees Hall's probably worst game of the year, I, I would Yeah, I, I mean, assume. hey, the, the, defense, I, the defense was just outstanding, really. I mean, for the most part. You're talking about a game where if the offense holds up their end of the bargain, this game's over going to the fourth quarter. And the defense is relaxing, and it's I, like I'm that, – that's a game that's, – that's a defensive performance that would definitely lend itself to beating Iowa State by 30. And I think everyone can agree with that. Like, I mean, if, if the offense would have held up their end of the bargain. Um, and you know, that unfortunately didn't happen, but Hey, like I, this is, this is kind of where I am like that, that, that defensive performance and the fact that they got out of the game healthy too, outside of DJ Graham, um, it, it makes me feel really good going up against an Oklahoma state offense next, next week that honestly looks 
that that that's going to present some of the same looks a lot of the times, but doesn't have as many weapons and doesn't really have as many ways to hit to hurt you. And so and and that's that's a limited offensive line too. So hey, you know I. I'm I'm glad it looks like the defense is kind of rounding a form, and really I thought they were pretty good, you know, pretty good against Baylor for the most part too. But you know, but then better again in this game against what I think is a better offense too, or at least a more dynamic one. So, um, that's the defense that we all expected, uh, you know, to to see at the beginning of the year. I, I think that's pretty clear. Um, and it, it was also nice to see them not giving up you know, outside of on the very first drive, the third and 18 that they gave up. It was nice not seeing them give up really long, explosive plays, kind of on third and long and whatnot. Because remember, that that was like an issue against Nebraska and West Virginia, even when they were playing pretty well on defense. Uh, so it was... It, and hey, other things that was nice... It was nice to see them finish in the backfield, get Purdy on the ground. That's the first time that they've consistently got Purdy on the ground once when they've played him. And like, I this is... I feel like the the amount of pressure that they got on him in the, uh, on him in this game was pretty consistent with how much pressure they've got on him the last three times they've played him, except this time they just finished. They actually got him on the ground, which was really nice to see. Yeah, that's a great point. Okay, good call. We haven't talked about the defensive line that much yet, uh, aside from Jalen Redmond a little bit. Uh, early on in the game, Isaiah Thomas, he, he finished. He was finishing plays. I, I put in my notes, he gets into the backfield, he sacks Purdy, Good. Nice to see. Nice to see him finish. Uh, he had multiple sacks. I think he just had two. Maybe he had two and a half. I don't know. Nick Benito was fantastic. He was so good in that game. Uh, interior line, Perrion Winfrey. Uh, they were really confusing Iowa State in t- the interior line with those twists up the middle with Redmond and Winfrey. That was working all game long. Isaiah Coe and Jordan Kelly had a couple of times where they flashed. The entire unit, the, in the entire front, again, everybody kind of had flashes here and there where they were able to contribute and uh, I know you were getting ready to say something so I I brought up uh, Thomas Winfrey and Benito Uh, all those guys are really good and they were finishing in the backfield yeah Benito is great Um, I I haven't rewatched the game yet maybe I'll go back and rewatch it but it seemed like he was getting neutered on that last drive They, they were having him spy Purdy and that that was you know it ended up didn't you know hurt him in the end but it did on that last drive. Oh, they weren't getting as much pressure on Purdy on that last drive, and I think there's a direct correlation there with not not having Benito rush. You know, I uh, potentially, but I here's the thing though. That was a drive where they actually exploited the things on film you see from Oklahoma's defense that you can't exploit. In the first series, they were doing it a lot, and for whatever reason, they tried a couple of times here and there. But on that last series, they actually were motioning out, getting Kohler matched up with Justin Broyles, which you can you can get those matchups in your favor against Oklahoma just by watching them on tape because you know what their safeties are likely going to do. And that's what happened. And so I don't even think it would have mattered because Kohler was the main guy and they were going after him. And he was manned up against Justin Broyles a lot of that time in that last series. There was one play where they played cover two and they blew his own coverage because Oklahoma, even though they played really good zone coverage for the most of the game, of course, in the last series when they needed to get him off the field, they... They blew it. They were bad at it. But, but uh, I, I don't think it would matter because that was the one read and that was the guy that Purdy was going to and he was getting the ball out quick anyways because his first guy was Kohler and he was always open there at the end until the last play of the game when Oklahoma finally decided to put two guys on him and actually Matt Campbell or I, I guess they whoever their offensive coordinator is. Sorry, I should probably know that. Uh, they had a really good play call there on fourth down. I think that was fourth down and they had Chase Allen block and then release as... 
because uh, they figured that Oklahoma might finally start to key on Kohler, and Chase Allen was wide open. It was just Purdy made a bad throw. I mean, Brock Purdy did Brock Purdy things uh, for the third straight game against Oklahoma. It's just that the first time, the first of those three games, Oklahoma chose not to catch the football. In the last two games, Oklahoma has caught the football. Granted, I guess one of the interceptions was uh, thrown by the backup quarterback that came in. But Brock Purdy puts the ball in danger a lot. And the last two times, Oklahoma has really taken advantage of it. And for the most, uh, mostly in this past game. So uh, I, I think that Benito, you know, getting chipped and maybe not getting pressure on the last series, I, I don't know if it would have mattered. Just because I think Iowa State actually went to something and Oklahoma couldn't stop it. They couldn't I figure think out how to. I think it's you know. all, I, I, think, I think Brock Purdy with pressure in his face always matters. Regardless of if a guy is wide open or something is well schemed up. If Brock Purdy has pressure in his face, that dude becomes pretty yikes really quickly. Yeah, I, I just, I mean, the ball was out so quick. I just don't know how fast he would have got there. Because uh, a lot of the pressure, it seemed like, was coming from the interior part of the line, which is not Benito. And, uh, uh, but I mean, he was jumping the snap all game. It's, I mean, he, he definitely saw something, either through film or just kind of early on in the game, their snap counts. And he kept... And he kept doing it too, and the refs weren't calling anything. So I just, I just started to assume it must be perfect. Then he must, it just must be totally in sync. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay, so I know the. uh, the, How about the? We'll talk about the Perion play. Perion just throwing his shoulder into Purdy. Uh, That kind of lit everybody up. The whole crowd went. I mean, that's that's one of those football plays, you know. Like it's. uh, I mean. I was afraid it was going to get called for targeting, but then on the broadcast, Joe Klatt and Mike Pereira kind of explained why it wasn't targeting because uh, I guess he was a runner. He was outside the pocket, so I guess it's different rules. Anyways, uh, that was uh, pretty violent, so I, I guess I – yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it was a big hit, um, but I figured I'd bring it up. Do you have any sort of take or thoughts on it? I was pissed when it happened because I, I expected to see the flag out right away afterwards and I because I'm pretty sure that was on third down, and I was thinking to myself, crap. They just got a freaking targeting when they made a good play. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I have no idea how that how, how a flag wasn't thrown in real time. That hit was brutal. And, like, the I, yeah. you, you had to slow it down to see that he got him with his shoulder. Like, so I have no clue how they didn't throw a flag. Like, especially with their, you know, with their emphasis on, hey, like, obviously I'm, I'm, I'm happy that it was clean and they got off the field. But I, I'm stunned. I am stunned a flag didn't ever come out there. Yeah, no, uh, same, same. But, uh, yeah, good stuff there. Let's see. Don't want to miss anything. Uh, defensively. Maybe uh, maybe if I miss something, sorry, uh, well, maybe I mean, three I reviews will have it. Yeah, um, and maybe because I'm, I'm reading your notes from the game, too. Um, and I, I think it's funny. The, we just talk about the the, the, um, the play, uh, the, the crazy review on the very first drive of the game. Um, that's I. I just want to bring that up, Lee, because you and I had an argument about that two weeks ago, watching an NFL game. It was this one. The NFL example was 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 more of a touchdown or more of a catch than this one was. Um, just I, I you know, I don't know if how much you want I to thought, go into it. That wasn't a catch. That was not a catch. Um, and uh, I I see both sides. I. I think uh, I, th- I think it was very similar to the one you're talking about the Colts game where the guy had it, and in both instances, the whole, it came down to having the ball secure and taking that extra step. And when I watched the replay back, I did think that guy had that extra step in the game against Oklahoma, 
and against in the NFL game had the extra step. So I I, I get it. I, I think I think the NFL one was definitely more clear because uh, I think he had that that extra step. He was down for longer. Uh, but I, I see both sides of this one. I, I do think, though, after watching it back, I think they made the right call. And I, mean, you I, watch, I think it was a catch. And I, yeah, I, and I here, I think you're being consistent with saying you think it's the right call. This, this is this, this is what I kept hammering on with the NFL thing a couple weeks ago. Was that watch that thing in real time? The dude didn't make the play. He did not catch that ball. I mean, it was you just you, they they but had the ball in their position for a sp- just a split second. A split. He did not complete the play. So, like, I mean, that's where I'm. So yeah, you're using this again, and I, I just I, I don't I don't understand your argument with watch it in real time because that's not an argument because we have instant replay. That's the whole point of instant replay. So if instant replay didn't exist, then you're right because I think they they ruled it incomplete on the field. But the fact that instant replay exists, sure. I, I just the this fact is that a to say watch that's it a real perfect time, example. That doesn't matter. That's a, that that play is a perfect example of instant replay adding an issue to the play that was not there. That was a that. Watching that live, that was clearly incomplete. Just move on. Move on. He didn't complete the play. He did not complete the process of the play. Like that's that was always my big thing with the whole with everyone going crazy about the Calvin Johnson stuff and at the NFL level is that when you were gonna add these new rules and these new interpretations, you were gonna make it harder to determine what a catch was. And cause I look at that and that's just not a catch. It just wasn't. He never completed so, the play. Uh, and so here's a here's the difference. Like for, for whatever reason, you look at that and you think it's harder and it's not a catch. I don't think it's harder. The guy had the ball. He made an extra step. He had the football. The only reason he didn't have the football is because DJ Graham knocked it out. It's not like he was bobbling it. It wasn't moving around. So to me, this isn't hard. I, I, you're, I think you're making it harder. And that's where it comes into <laughs> that. That's where the instant replay gives you, it, it gives you a visual distortion of what actually happened. It makes you think that he had the ball. Did he actually have the ball if he had it for a quarter of a second? Yes, he did. The only reason why he didn't have the ball anymore was because it was knocked out by a defender after he had already made the catch. If the defender wasn't there, if a defender didn't exist, the play ends, he has the football in his hand, and he hands it back to the referee. And that's the part, I guess, that for whatever like, reason I get it. it's uh, the- you're, you're disagreeing with. It's just it's it's the the only reason why you can actually say that that's a catch is because he made the two steps, right? That's it. That's the only thing that you can say. If you watch it in real time, it's just so fast. It's so extremely fast. It's not like no football move move was made. Momentum happened. That's what that was. Well, he took a step. Took a couple extra steps. I, I again, I this whole thing with you using real time, it's just bizarre to me because that doesn't matter. That's the whole point of instant replay. I guess, yeah. That's what's so maybe. confusing to me. I just hate it. I hate it. That's so clearly not a catch. Okay. So clearly not a catch. Well, in your opinion, but by the rule book and by the football, it is. They, he, they, it is a catch. He, the ball is in his hands. Before he's really able done turning, the ball's out of his hands. And in real time, it's, it's less than quarter of a second he has the ball secured, which means he doesn't so if he has the ball for that short of amount of time, does he have the ball secured? No. Clearly. Watch it in real time. Well, well again, it doesn't matter what happens in real time. I don't know how many times I have to tell you that. Okay. You're making a very technical argument. You're making a very technical argument. I will grant that to you. That's fine. You are being completely obtuse. You are not seeing my side of the argument. 
yes, I am. I am seeing your side of the argument, and I'm saying your side of the argument doesn't make any sense because it doesn't matter what it looks like in real time. It matters what the rule book says, and it matters that he took multiple steps and caught the football. And the only reason why he didn't have the football afterwards is because it was pulled out of his hand. That's why it was a catch. If it was moving, do you then agree? It have been a do catch. you agree that he had the ball for a shockingly small amount of time? He, sure, yes, but he had the ball enough enough to have it for a catch by the rules and how football works. If he would not have taken that extra step, it wouldn't have been a catch. That's the whole point. That's what I don't understand. Like you, like it, it's so I understand your technical so argument. You. The rules is stupid. It's stupid. Okay, so the thing is, if you if you could change the rule, the way that you would want to do it would make it more confusing because then no, you're like complete the process of the catch. So simple. So extremely Okay, so what does simple. that mean? So what does that mean? He would have had to catch it and he would have had to get into the end zone with the ball in his hand or out of bounds with the ball in his hand. How does one Okay, so he would have to get into the end zone with the ball in his hand. So so anytime so a, a guy could just knock it out anytime and then it's incomplete. At what point is it that it then a fumble? When he when he had okay, I just don't think he had the ball. I don't think he had you the see, ball. You see how he, your your standard it actually makes it more confusing. See, I don't at all. Like, he never put the ball away. Very he never objective. had it. He never secured it. The secure Okay, so you have to catch the ball and you have to put it away. You have to so so you can't like catch the ball in the end zone and like hold it above your head. Yes, you, you can. Have to, you have to you can if you have the ball for a for a decent amount of time. I guess a yeah, decent I, amount I, of time. A decent so you have so now there's a, a stopwatch. You have to is that what it is? So you catch the ball and you have to hold it in your hand for two seconds? I'm just trying to get an idea of what you want the rule change because to me, it's pretty clear cut. It's not that hard. And you're, you're kind of making it harder than it, than it needs to be. And that's what this is a very interesting debate. I'd like it's to hear... Clear, it's clearly not just, clear cut because I'm confused. I, I don't know how you can... Like, I, I do think it matters in real time because that's the time in which we live in. That's what people watch. <laughs> but the, that's the whole point of instant replay, though. That's like that's why it exists, it, it, because sometimes it's hard to see things in real time. It's, it happens so fast. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if, if anybody else has has uh, you know my viewpoint or your viewpoint. They get because obviously we're going to just argue in circles here, uh, because I mean you know where I stand. Everyone listening knows where Grant stands. Because isn't the and, rule uh, you have to do two steps and then make a football move? Isn't like which is extremely subjective in the first place. I think it's two steps, and then a, a third step constitutes as a football move, and, I, and that guy made a third step. And that's why, like, initially, when I fought, saw the replay, I was like, ah, that looks like not a catch. Then I watched it again. I was like, oh, yeah, okay, he has that extra step. Yeah, he's got the ball. And then what made it weird, obviously, is that Graham knocked it out, and Graham's foot was out of bounds when he knocked it out, so then it was a dead ball. Like, if DJ Graham would have been still in the field of play, that's a touchback, and that's a good play. I mean, it's... It's, it's, it's good to see Oklahoma's making some competitive plays kind of at the catch point. I mean, Key Lawrence against Texas Tech had, what, one or two where he knocked it out. I think last week, DJ Graham had the one where the guy had it, and then he knocked it out. I, I, I'd like for these guys to actually make the, the, the play, though, before the guy secures the football. <laughs> like, it's, he it's didn't baby secure steps. the football. <laughs> okay, well, he did, but in your opinion, in, in the, the, the way you want the rule book to be, he he, I, again, I, I really think the way that you're looking at it would make things a lot more confusing. 
And the whole Calvin, you mentioned Calvin Johnson. The reason why that to me wasn't that difficult to understand was because the whole point of that was like he was falling down. It was all about going to the ground and like losing the football as you're going to the ground. When somebody knocks it out, it's totally different. He wasn't going to the ground. But anyways, we spent probably way too much time on that. But I'm glad you brought that up because that was a weird play. And uh, I, I mean, think that, that was a massive I- break for Iowa State. It was a massive break. Well, it was a massive break because DJ Graham's foot was out of bounds when it was stripped. That's why it was a break. Like, you can't even grant how absurdly close that play was. You think it's just, like, totally clear-cut. No, 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 no. I I said, like, probably 10 minutes ago, I understand because Joe Klatt didn't like the call. I understand. I get it. I just, I disagree. I I mean, I think Mike Pereira said it was, it was, it was a catch. He's the official guy. I, I mean... When I first saw it, I didn't think so. And then I started watching the replay the, over again. I was like, okay, yeah, okay, I see it. He's got it. DJ Graham's uh, uh, just a bit too late there, knocking it out. I need to go I mean, back it, and rewatch it. Because, like, do you remember, remember the first play of the aim against Tech where they picked on Key and then he, he was able to break? I think by that interpretation of the rule, that should have been a catch for the Texas Tech guy. We should go back and watch that. Yeah, okay, we should. Uh, let's go to three-word reviews. Let's start on the West of Evers Facebook page. I guess we haven't even talked about the offense yet, really, but maybe this will spurn some discussion about the offense. Uh, Tyler says, not good enough. And Tyler has more comments. He says, it's so frustrating watching Oklahoma squeak by in games. They should win by 21 or more. Also, OU seems to do great when they play aggressively, but when they get up a little bit and they let off, uh, they let off and play super conservative, letting average teams hang around. Uh, the, the second part of that, I, I definitely agree that it's frustrating not to see them find a way to win games by a lot of points. It, it's like even though Oklahoma State's offense is very limited, I mean, they're blowing the doors off teams because they can play good defense and their offense is doing just enough. I mean, at one point, I, I can look at the final stats. I, I think Texas Tech had less than 100 yards of offense in that game. And at one point in the third quarter, Texas Tech only had 41 yards of total offense against Oklahoma State. And they put up 41 last week against Iowa State. So, like, Oklahoma State is figuring out ways to blow out teams because their defense is so good, and their offense is doing just enough. Oklahoma, even when the defense is playing really well, still can't, still can't separate. But I don't know if that game was a good example of Oklahoma playing aggressive and then, like, letting up when they got up in the, in the game. I just I didn't see it that way because the offense just wasn't doing anything. Like, they, they weren't really showing any ability to get any sort of separation. What do you think? And the offense was bad. They sucked. I mean, it was just not they weren't good. You got the one you got the one outstanding play from Caleb on the second second snap of the game, which is a huge that was a huge play. That was a huge play. Um that they needed to have after just sort of the super bizarre first series for Iowa State. Um and then after that, what I saw was just was was a team and a, like that had no idea what they wanted to do at all. Like I I just I don't see I don't see much, you know, harmony. But with the play caller and the quarterback right now, there's, it's you know clearly Caleb Williams is not playing well. I very clearly he's missing guys. They were showing they showed more guys that he missed in this game than they were showing last week against Baylor. Um, but geez, man, like I just Lincoln Riley clearly is struggling calling plays right now. Um, and. It takes a lot for me to kind of start going in on Lincoln Riley in that regard, but there's clearly he doesn't have a great feel for this offense. I think that's very clear. He he just he he you can tell he's not sure what they do extremely well. 
So that leads us into Elijah's three-word reviews. And Elijah, uh, I, I appreciate the enthusiasm. You have tons of three-word reviews on the West of Everest Facebook page. I'm just going to pick one, though, uh, because it leads into what Grant was just talking about. Uh, th- these are very critical. He says, uh, posts, seems, goes. And so Elijah's referencing Oklahoma's offense, and he explains more. He says, rinse, repeat. Despite eight in coverage week in and week out, despite having a better quarterback and better skill position position players than almost everyone Oklahoma plays, Oklahoma has an offensive genius coach, offensive genius in in, uh, quotation marks, uh, who has managed seven or fewer points in the first half of five games this year. Oh, wow. Riley doesn't look near as good without a roster full of bona fide NFL players. And very critical of Lincoln Riley. And right now, yeah, it, it, back-to-back weeks, OU's offense has not looked good against two of the, the better defenses they played. Uh, right now, Baylor's defense is better than Iowa State's defense. Iowa State's defense, there's, there's something going on with it. They've given up a lot of explosive plays recently. Heck, Baylor, over the entire season, has given up a lot of explosive plays, and Oklahoma could not get anything explosive on Baylor. Iowa State, in the last uh, three weeks, two of the last three games, has given up almost 40% of their explosive plays this entire season. Texas Tech got them for a lot of stuff. West Virginia got them for a lot of stuff. Oklahoma, yes, you, I think you mentioned the Caleb Williams big run. Aside from that, it was there was really not much at all in the, in the Oklahoma offensive game. And it's, it's a problem. Like right now, it's... I, there's probably a lot of factors, but I think the biggest one to me, Riley's been the coach at Oklahoma for five years. These Big 12 defenses have seen this offense over and over and over again, and, and he's been in the league for longer. He's been in the league since 2015. It's pretty obvious that defensive coordinators, especially Iowa State, who's been, John Haycock's been there for a long time. Uh, Dave Aranda's really good. Uh, these guys that know defense and have some good good schemes, they are figuring out Lincoln Riley's offense. They know what he's trying to do. And even with Caleb Williams, uh, who is a dynamic player, yeah, he was good against, uh, looking back now in hindsight, we can say he was really good, but against a lot of really bad defenses, like some of the worst defenses in the Big 12. And heck, even against Kansas, it was touch and go. He, He was not very good in that game. So I think a lot of it has to do with people are catching up to Lincoln Riley and Lincoln Riley, it's, gonna, it's, it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to have to be an offseason thing, Grant. He's going to have to do something in this offseason to, to switch something up with this offense. I don't, and I, I can't help but think back to what we talked about last week going in, and I mentioned Gabe Eichard's podcast. And I know you said you listened to it. I can't help but think it has, has a lot to do with the offensive line and the, the ideology and the schematics and just what Oklahoma wants to do up front. Maybe it's just too complicated and a more smash mouth traditional approach in a in the running game with sprinkling in some Lincoln Riley principles here and there. Maybe moving forward, he should look into something like that. I don't know. Or maybe that's too simple of a fix because, for example, in this game, for a couple of series here and there, especially on Oklahoma's touchdown drive where Kennedy Brooks got going late in the game and Eric Gray scored a touchdown late in the game, they were running a lot of outside and inside zone on that series. And they were having some success. And actually, I think after the game, Lincoln Riley said he thought his offensive line was the best part of the offense in that game. And I think that's probably correct. The offensive line and the running backs. I mean, they ran the ball pretty well against Iowa State. Uh, But the thing is, they should run the ball well against Iowa State because of the style of defense Iowa State plays, right? They like to drop a lot of people in the coverage. And so Joe Klatt was mentioning it over and over and over again. There's a light box there. you got to be able to run the ball against this type of box. They they couldn't do it against Baylor. Dave Aranda is kind of similar. They want to do the same thing. 
they obviously adjusted from the Baylor game and ran the ball more against Iowa State, and that was beneficial. Granted, they got a lot of it on that Caleb Williams touchdown run. That, that definitely bloated the stats a little bit. But overall, the offense ran the ball pretty well. But is that back-to-back games where they've thrown for fewer than 100 yards? Oh, I mean, they, the passing game is they broken. They threw for over – Caleb had like 150 yards against Baylor. And then Rattler was he in did? there, too. I thought, yeah. I thought he had like 80-something like 80 yards against Baylor. No, it was like I'll 150. He had that 50-yarder to Hazelwood, remember? Oh, yeah. Garbage um, time. Yeah, I it's I that was that was kind of the first time I really was paying attention to kind of their blocking schemes up front in the run game. And yeah, especially early in the game when they were trying to get Kennedy going and it wasn't always perfect. I mean, geez, yeah, I mean at times it really felt like uh just it was taking forever for that stuff to develop. And uh that's tough. That that that's tough, especially when you're going against a light box already. And um Going against that light box, right? You would think that you would want to fire off the ball and get upfield as quickly as possible, um, but no. It seemed like they they kept doing that little thing where they uh, where they were pulling the guard and they were trying to ride it with Caleb, and it was just so slow developing. Um, when you're going against that box, right? Like it makes sense, right? If you would want to run some sort of zone scheme where you can fire off the ball and get upfield quickly, right? Yeah, and, and again, I think that's why they were having some success running inside and outside zone at certain times in the game. And, and yeah, sure, some of the plays, they got you know one yard or no gain, but I think all of Oklahoma's biggest running back runs came on zone plays. Uh, and there was one time in the game where I remember they ran GT counter with Eric Gray. He got 12 yards. But, I mean, Kennedy Brooks' biggest run that happened, I think, in the fourth quarter, that was an interesting blocking scheme they had the entire line blocked to the right but the play was designed to go back against the grain and like it it worked because obviously Iowa State they read their keys they went they kind of half the defense flowed over towards the field side and Oklahoma pulled somebody on the backside whether it was Stogner or Willis and Brooks was responsible to you know to make one guy miss he did and everything else was blocked up and he got 27 yards plus the face mask penalty I think so, that's I mean, pretty, that's kind of some new stuff. Yeah, that, that's something that you see a lot with teams that run a lot of outside zone and stretch. I mean, that's a staple of the offense, right? You run, you run to that side, and then oh nope, now you're gonna you're gonna cut back on you know when if if somebody doesn't contain there. You see that in the NFL all the time when people were were under center, right? So, um, and I mean, you see that with I saw that with Baylor watching them a lot leading up to the OU game too. So. Um, yeah, it's it, it'll be. But remember, hey, the last time that they ran uh, inside outside zone quite a bit in a game was against Kansas State, and then we didn't see it again until yesterday, basically. So um, it, we'll see. I mean, geez, man, just like against Texas, we see the. I, I'm still we we see the direct snap to Kennedy Brooks, and that they they gain hundreds of yards off of that in the game. We don't see it again. We don't see it again the rest of the year. It makes no sense to me, especially when you've. You, you've struggled to move the ball at times this season. Um, such a weird thing. I thought, I thought the offensive line was really good yesterday for the most part. Um, they were really good in pass protection. Every single time that Caleb was under pressure, it was him hold, uh, hold, hold on to the ball too long. Um, that's right. This, the offensive line, for the most part, outside of some busts here and there, has been rock solid in pass pro. They just have been. They, they've been good this year in that regard. I really right. think they have. Yeah. I agree. I mean, you take away the West Virginia game where, I mean, everybody was bad. That was probably the worst one. But, yeah, and that's what that, that's what leads me to, to think a lot of it. 
might be able to be a lot of this offensive problems could be fixed with a, a, maybe a, a different strategy, a, a different thinking of the run game because in pass protection all season long, for the most part, Oklahoma's been fine. So that tells me that this offensive line, like people bag on it a lot. Clearly, they know how to protect. I mean, they're good. Like, so that's fine. But when it comes to run blocking, a lot of the times it's like, oh, they can't fire off. They're not playing forceful, as Gabe said. There's not much much velocity. Maybe that's the style with which Oklahoma wants to play, and maybe that's maybe teams are starting to catch up with that. Uh, and also, maybe you know, there's a bit of a talent dip as well. I mean, I know you listen to Gabe Eichert. He always goes through all the different guys. He breaks down how they play in the game, and I appreciate that because he knows a lot more about the offensive line stuff than I do than we do. I don't know anything about it, and so I take his word for it. And you know, he's like guys like Anton Harrison. He's like, yeah, he's got to get stronger. You know, he you know, he always talks. Tyrese Robinson's playing well, but you know, here and there, Andrew Rames, young, he's got to get better. Blah blah blah. And so there's a lot of like so maybe. That factors in as well. Not having Creed Humphrey, obviously, is, ends up being a lot bigger of a deal than we thought it would be. Uh, by the way, uh, yes, you're right. He had 142 yards passing against Baylor. Wanted to just put that out there really quick. And speaking of the center position, Andrew Rame, I wouldn't be surprised if he's out for the rest of the year. He uh, got rolled up on when Caleb got sacked in the end zone. By the way, Anton Harrison, he got beat by Will McDonald on that play. So at least he kind of made up for it by recovering the fumble and taking it out of the end zone to avoid disaster. <laughs> But uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Andrew Rame is done. He, that looked pretty nasty. Uh, I think Robert Conjol came in and played the rest of the game. So that's something to watch out for. Oklahoma could be playing with a different center the rest of the way. Wanted to mention that. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that before we get to more three-word reviews, or should I just move on? No, I, I do know that I saw Rame up and walking on the sideline in the second half, even after he was out. Um, so, I mean, I don't know anything other than that. I didn't think... Oh, that's good. His, you know, yeah, like the watching the replay, it definitely looked like it could have been a pretty bad situation with his knee. I didn't see his knee go in a weird direction, though. So at least that that's good. Yeah, yeah. All right, Justin says, defense provided win. Chris says, fake punt disaster. And Winfrey leveled Purdy. <laughs> Shane, more on the defense, said defense carried offense. 100% correct. Uh, Tracy says inconsistent at best then Tracy adds the one side of the football I never figured Oklahoma would struggle on with Riley is absolutely terrible Uh, it's it's not terrible terrible would be them not scoring any points but it's it's for I guess relative to Lincoln Riley and what you expect I guess it is terrible I mean everything's relative and based on what we expect from Lincoln Riley offense yeah I guess you could describe it as terrible and you could probably defend that Mark says Kohler uncoverable (laughs) Uh, See that was that was by far the most the best Charlie Kohler has ever looked in his career to me. That was like where I was. So just why like, does he why does he always look that way against Oklahoma? It always seems like he's able to do it against Oklahoma, but he's I mean he's had other good games. Don't get me wrong. But, that's the most athletic uh, for, he's ever looked like in a game. Um, I don't know. It was I mean it was a, a lot of it. You know a lot of that damage on the last you know drive or so was was right on Justin Boyles. Which hey I mean they watch film. I mean, you can any team they want can get any matchup in the slot on Justin Boyles if they want, if they just watch film. Because, you know, exactly, because you know what's going to happen. It's either Justin Boyles is going to literally be manned up on him or playing some sort of cover cover four quarters, which is essentially man coverage, or they're going to be playing some sort of zone coverage. And Justin Boyles is kind of in that zone. And that's exactly what happened. By the way, I did want to mention this. That reminds me. So as the game was going on, that last series, fourth down clock running under a minute 
Oklahoma calls timeout. As the clock is running, Iowa State is, has no timeouts left, and Lincoln Riley called timeout, which allowed Iowa State to take a breath and drop a play. And the next snap after the timeout was when Oklahoma came out playing cover two, and that's after the game when Lincoln Riley said, oh, we, we busted that zone coverage. So coming out of a timeout that Oklahoma decided to call with the clock running and Iowa State in frantic mode and Oklahoma's defense playing, I mean, I know that last series they weren't great, but they gave Iowa State a chance to catch their breath and figure out what they wanted to call and scheme something up. And Oklahoma ended up busting in the coverage anyways. That's one of those, that's one of those situations where I feel like you have to, like, as a coach or a defendant, you have to have a philosophy in that situation late in the game. For, I think it was fourth and five or fourth and six or something like that. Yeah, fourth and six. Clock fourth running six, like that. Yep. You, you, you are cover one and you're blitzing. You're, you're blitzing and you're up at the line of scrimmage in everyone's face. That's, that's, that's what I would have done. It's easy. It's easy. Just do it. That's what, that's what the call is there. Well, I'm sure they were just doing whatever they were doing the whole series, and that's why Riley wanted to call timeout because he's like, oh, no, like they probably know what we're doing, so I'm calling timeout. And honestly, like it's nowhere to, nowhere to prove this, but the way Oklahoma lined up before that timeout was called, I, I got the sense. I thought they had it covered. I thought they had like, like it's not like Iowa State had some sort of ridiculous matchup. Like there was a guy wide open, and he's like, oh no, they're gonna throw. It looked like Oklahoma defensively was like everybody was covered. Like sure, they were probably gonna be running the same thing they were running, but I like going into that snap with the clock running. I didn't think like, oh no, this is gonna be the knockout punch play here where they're gonna maybe hit a touchdown. My thought was. Iowa State's the one that's getting leaned on right now. This is the game. It's fourth down in the game right now. I mean, the, the pressure is on them, make, and the clock is running. Make them make a play here. And the way the Oklahoma defense have been playing all, season, uh, all, all game long, I get it. They weren't playing as well there that last series, but still, the entirety of the game, Oklahoma defensively was playing well. Make Iowa State make that play, and then Lincoln decided to call a timeout, which gave him a chance to – and it just it makes it even worse, though, coming out of the timeout, that they blew the coverage. <laughs> like they messed up coming out of the timeout. So yeah, I mean they they played cover two. Oklahoma did not have a middle player in cover two, which you're supposed to have. And Charlie Kohler just sits down and had an easy gain all the way to the Oklahoma 35. Well, that was the one where and, where Aguebu took the flat player, right? I can't I can't remember. I remember uh, Justin Broyles just kind of like I don't know where his where he what he was doing. I don't I, I guess. In, if if you're a nickel playing cover two, that you're technically the Sam like a linebacker, so I guess in in theory he's supposed to have the flats, and nobody had the middle of the field, which is where Kohler was supposed to like kind of was, uh, and yeah, it they busted it like right afterwards they busted the coverage. So not only did they call a timeout to let Iowa State catch their breath, Oklahoma did not play it well defensively after the timeout, uh, and fortunately. Uh, Iowa State fall started. Had a, a, they had second down and fifteen. Uh, Jalen Redmond made a play. He got in Brock Purdy's face immediately. That the force a bad throw that set up third down and ten. So like Oklahoma came back and made plays. Like they attacked Key Lawrence into the end zone. It wasn't a very good throw, but Key Lawrence had good coverage on third down, and then was the fourth down play that Pat Fields intercepted and ended the game. Uh, more three word reviews from the Facebook page. Tim says, offensive genius? Really? Ooh. Lincoln Riley getting flamed. This is the most he's been criticized in a long time. Uh, Caleb says, offer okay preps, kids. 
be curious to see who Caleb would like to see uh, would like to see him offer. Uh, Philip says, "Where's the offense?" <laughs> Shane Purdy needs Tylenol. <laughs> uh, and Hamp says, "Purdy will Purdy." I kind of like that one because I mean that's that was the whole Brock Purdy experience, man. He made some good throws, but he puts the ball in danger, and you put pressure on him. He can he he kills the team. By the way. Quick aside, how about Matt Campbell or whoever their offensive coordinator is? Sorry, do you know who their offensive coordinator is? I, I'm, I should know this. I, uh, I don't know. So, yeah, I, how about Iowa State totally derailing their own possession, I think, in the second quarter when they brought in that backup quarterback and decided to run that trick play where it ended up being a double forward pass? Like They were actually moving the ball pretty, pretty okay against Oklahoma for the first time since the first series, and they absolutely just derailed their own possession there. And... I think that might have been the yeah I can't remember what ended up happening on that series and they ended up punt punting or whatever I, I got it in my notes but yeah uh, that was, that was I mean that was a 15 yard penalty and a loss of down oh wait no that was the that was the series that Jalen Redmond returned the touchdown or fumble for a touchdown and the only reason why they were in third down in 21 is because of that they decided to weirdly do that trick play that that didn't work. Uh, and like earlier in the drive, they had they had converted a third down and seven where they watched film and they motioned Charlie Kohler to a spot where he was manned up with Justin Broyles and they picked on Justin Broyles and it couldn't have been it couldn't have been easier for Iowa State. And then it was the next play on first down and 10 where they took Purdy out of the game and went backwards on that trick play. Yeah, that was that's that was bizarre. That was definitely bizarre. Uh, let's go to the. My uh, Twitter account at Lee Benson News Nine. Uh, Child of God, always super positive. Says dominoes are falling. <laughs> I can only assume he's referencing Oklahoma and the playoff. Uh, but okay, so this is our chance to mention. So you mentioned uh, the last podcast. Uh, all Oregon needs. Uh, all OU needs is Oregon to lose, right? And Oregon didn't just lose Saturday. Uh, they got the doors blown off them by by Utah. And. Uh, at what point do we start to congratulate ourselves about Utah? Do we have to wait till they win the Pac-12, or uh, can we do it now? I like, think what do we you should. Think? I think we should wait on that one. That's not. Uh, <laughs> I, I've no. I have no idea who they play next week, but yeah, man. Ever since they switched to Cam Rising, I mean, they've been they've been one of the best teams in the country. I think it's that's pretty that's pretty easy to say. So yeah, dominoes are falling. Oklahoma again, like they have a chance to make the playoff. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, they beat Oklahoma State two games in a row, and I think they would, at least one of those games, they would have to, to beat them convincingly, preferably in the Big 12 title game because it's the, you know, close to the playoff. I think Oklahoma has a pretty darn good chance of getting in at that point. I, I think even if they beat Oklahoma, I, I know you, you hate these conversations, but we're going to do it right now just, just for fun. Like At this point, looking at the, the top 25 or whatever, isn't really the one – like let's say Oklahoma takes care of business. It's kind of unlikely at this point because I think Oklahoma State's a better team right now than Oklahoma. That's not surprising. I'm curious to see what that, that game opens at, the line. OSU's going to be favored. I'm just curious about, about how much. Uh, but let's say Oklahoma takes care of business. Let's say they win the next two games. Is the only team really in Oklahoma's way at this point Cincinnati? Notre Dame. But Notre Dame lost to Cincinnati. Yep, that's, the, that, that's what you have to hear. That's a, Cincinnati's in. Cincinnati wins out there in. Now, I, I actually, like, I don't think there's, especially if Notre Dame beats Stanford next week, because that means Notre Dame would be done. Um, and you can't, you cannot put Notre Dame ahead of Cincinnati. 
And so unless you're going to put unless you unless you're going to put a two-loss Alabama without a without a conference championship ahead of Cincinnati or so that's kind of where I'm at right now. I mean, if 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 OU wins out right now, this is basically what it looks like. Number one seed is going to be Georgia. The number two seed is going to be Ohio State or Michigan. The number three seed is very likely, I think, going to be Cincinnati. And the fourth seed is going to be OU, Oklahoma State, or Notre Dame. I think I think that's kind of what it looks like right now. Of course, if Alabama beats Georgia in the SEC title, Alabama will be in. Both Alabama and Georgia will be in. But that's not going to happen. Georgia's going to beat Alabama pretty soundly. I, I think that's like it's that looks pretty clear to me at this point. Yeah, man, I was uh, I was really hoping that Arkansas could keep pressing, keep pressing last night and knock off Alabama just to kind of get that out of the way. Um, didn't happen, obviously. It wouldn't surprise uh, me at all, though. Like if you get, let's say OU's twelve and one, you get to the end. It wouldn't surprise me, I guess, to see the committee put Cincinnati and Notre Dame both in. Everyone would hate that, and it would definitely it would hasten the expansion of the playoff. I think, but sure. um, you know it, that wouldn't surprise me. But I think that's really if OU wins out and Georgia beats Alabama, that's that's the only thing that's going to keep OU out. Just look at it. Just I mean, just look at history. I mean that those those conference championship games, and 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 if Notre Dame's not playing that weekend, then that, I mean that's really going to hurt them. So, but I, hey, like you're you're right though. I think that's. That's definitely sort of counting your chickens because, yeah, I mean, right now it's just logical. Oklahoma State probably should be favored against OU on Saturday, and it would be all be a moot point anyway. Oh yeah, I mean they're they're going to be favored. The only question is by how much. And that's I mean that's uh, the think- thing right now with and Oklahoma State fans have got to be pumped right now. I mean they're thinking to themselves we beat OU on Saturday. Um, all we got to do is win a rematch against Baylor with their backup quarterback in all likelihood, and we're in the playoff. Oklahoma State, I mean, this is this is real for them, for sure. Just yeah, you're exactly right. And just a quick aside, and this is we'll just take a shot at, at just some some terrible people in the college football punditry world. And I'm just gonna reference I listened to a podcast earlier this week where they're I, I don't listen to it much, but these guys, they're supposedly guys that know a lot about college football. And whenever there's discussions like you know, the playoff discussion and they're talking about the Big 12, and whenever like one of the two guys on the podcast says some stuff like, oh, I, I think only Oklahoma is the only team that still has a path to the playoff in the Big 12, it makes me think, like, what? You, you think, like, you say you're a college football person. Like, what are you talking about? Like, what do, what do you mean? Oklahoma, like, just totally dismissing Oklahoma State. That just shows me you're not paying attention to college football. Like you're, you're exactly right. I mean, Oklahoma State is in all likelihood two wins away from making the playoff. They, I mean, they are like they're they have just as I, good I, of a chance of if if, if they win yeah. their next two. I think there's a zero percent chance they're left out. They're in. They're totally in if they win their next two. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. I think yeah, I think you're right. And so, it, so my whole point is that like Oklahoma State, everyone's gonna. You know, I know Cowboys fans have complained recently. Like, oh, when are they gonna get the respect they deserve? Blah blah blah. It's like. Don't worry about it. It's okay. It's gonna take care of itself. That's the whole, like that's the whole point. Like the season will play out. It's now if you get to, to the very end and Oklahoma State has taken care of business, and then you're still not getting respect, and they still deserve, okay, then you can complain about it. But this is like it kind of goes back to what I was just talking about a second ago. It's like how could you be somebody that understands college football and watches college football, and as as recently as a, as, as a few days ago, just 
totally dismiss Oklahoma State as like, even if they would have went out, that they'd make the playoff. I, I think the guy was super confident, though, the, that I'm referencing. It was, uh, uh, it was like, uh, if any of you guys are into gambling, if you ever listen to the R.J. Bell type podcast, I, I don't listen to him as much anymore, but they have college guys come on. That's, I feel weird just keeping saying this guy, this guy, this guy. I can't remember his name, but uh, if you listen to that, it's they're, they're college football people. Anyways, I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that he was super, he was like, oh, Oregon, Oregon's super good. It's like, oh, good call, man. Great call. Like he was all over Oregon against Utah. Yeah, good one, man. Really nailed that one. And so I get it. It's, it's sports. Like I've missed on tons of picks too over the time, but sometimes th- being super, super aggressive on things like that, where as a, as a few days ago, there was really no evidence to be super aggressive on makes me totally question everything and so the chances of me listening to that podcast moving forward are pretty much one to zero percent so I just I wanted to get that ran off my chest because I just I don't understand how somebody could have as early as five days ago been like uh yeah Oklahoma is still probably the only team in the big 12 that can make the playoff at this point like what are you talking about what are you talking about Oklahoma State's right there they only have one loss they still have Oklahoma to play they think of the rest make and build and look at the teams ahead of them even if Oregon would have won that game against Utah, Oklahoma State would still have a great chance to make the playoff right now. Anyway, okay, sorry. Uh, there's a lot more three-word reviews on Twitter. I'll go to Gonzo Strangelove because he's a longtime listener. This isn't technically three words, but I'll give it to you because you hyphenated your middle word. Riley outthinking himself. Uh, I don't know if it's him outthinking himself as much as it, is it him just he's – it's his offense, and, like, sometimes coaches are – you know, they, they do what they do, and it's difficult to change. And, like, Riley is still obvi- an offensive genius, but sometimes coaches have egos, and it takes them a, long, a, a while to maybe adjust. What I would uh, do... Just, just, just guessing. What, what I would do, and this is, you know, of course, I mean, it's just my opinion, but this week, if I was Lincoln Riley, what I would emphasize is I'd, I'd emphasize a playbook that puts my athletes against their, their guys in space. That's all I would be trying to do at any point in time, my guys against their guys. Try to try to simplify it as much as humanly possible, but get to any sort of situation where it's your one guy against their one guy. And we'll see. I don't know. All right. Um, Sunny Hill Sooner says offense is regressing. Yeah, back-to-back, back-to-back bad games, yeah. Uh, Gabe says, complimentary football someday. <laughs> um, let's see. Bobby says, Caleb sees ghosts. Interesting. Yeah, I, you know, I, I guess I will say I, I was texting you videos from the All-22 of the Baylor game. And I, sure, there's some things that Caleb missed. But also, there's, there's some route concepts that I, I just... Sometimes there's not a there's not a check down guy or there's nobody over the middle of the field and it just it seems like the play is is kind of scrapped from the beginning. Like there's not going to be really anybody open unless unless the quarterback sees that really tight window and anticipates a really tight throw and makes it. Which I think Clatt made the the comment against Iowa State on the like there are some some windows there here and there against Iowa State. It's just if you don't see it right away, they close really fast. And I think even Riley referenced that a little bit after the game. The thing is, is like yes. I, I agree. There are some windows here and there, but man, some of these things are high level anticipatory throws that as I was making my notes, I was thinking, well, Baker and Kyler, they make those throws. 
probably a lot more than Caleb and probably a lot more than Spencer. But still, that doesn't mean that these guys should be expected to make these throws a lot of the times. Uh, but then again, maybe that's what Riley expects, and they're not seeing it. Uh, I shouldn't say they because you know Rattler only played one snap because Caleb Williams' helmet came off. But also, like I, I think a lot of the criticism is like give him some more easy throws, give him some more easy looks here and there. Um, yeah, I'd have to go back and watch the the film again. But just for example, I mean there there was a play against Baylor where it seemed like every single route was on the outside and there was nothing for Caleb in the middle of the field to where so like if if everybody was deep and and out it's like there's nothing he gets sacked and I I I know there's always some sort of check down guy seemingly in every play but sometimes it's off the backside of the play and he has no shot at it so yeah I I don't know I don't know. It's a it's 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 a tough. Like there's I you know hey I, like we can sit there's here not and we an can easy answer. Oh no, it, like and that's that's the thing. This is why you know going into this, I wasn't actually super keen to talk about the offense because I don't know, man. Like I can't sit here and say this is the problem. This is the problem because I I don't know at this point in time. So uh, it's and I'm sorry. Like I I understand that the you know the monster games that Caleb Williams has had have have been against bad defenses. I totally get that. But he also looked otherworldly in those games. You and like I saw, I saw Donovan Smith against OU look really not great at all. And then two weeks later, throw for three hundred and twenty yards, nearly ten yards a pop against Iowa State. Throw for like four touchdown passes. So there's something else going on. Like it's it's not yeah. like and it, Caleb is not playing well. He is he is not. But there's something else going on. He's they're they're not dudes running just wide open at all times. That's not happening. Oh, man, let's play the what if game. I really, I really want to know what the uh, what our reality would be right now if Caleb would have completed that 25, 30 yard pass to a wide open Austin Stogner against Baylor. Ever since he missed that that layup throw, it's been even worse. It's just like I, I just I, I want to know. I mean, like they're moving the ball pretty well that series, and you know that the game it was only a one possession game. Uh, what if? Uh, speaking I'm of what you just said, to little- see, remember how it was? Um, and this is just looking looking forward to Bedlam next week. You know, Oklahoma State's defense came into that game last season at, you know, pretty with with a lot of accolades. I mean, they were playing really well. Um, didn't they play a lot of man in that game, Oklahoma State? Okay, so I'm, I'm wondering I'm if there's no way. I'm, I, I, I bet they don't play a lot of man on Saturday. So so here's the thing. I'm going to probably butcher this, but I remember in, in the preseason and talking to people that know more about Oklahoma State than I do. One of the big things I think that and this sounds crazy to me because I don't understand why this wouldn't already be part of the defense, but one of the big things I think like Jim Knowles kind of emphasized more in the offseason and coming into this year was Oklahoma State playing playing more zone defense and being better at playing zone defense because last season they played a ton of man. They played a ton of man, and we saw Oklahoma, Spencer Rattler and Lincoln Riley burn Oklahoma State playing a bunch of man against Bedlam, just like crossing routes, uh, just, I mean, man beaters. And going into this season like I want to say uh, there was more of an emphasis on playing yeah it's not like Oklahoma State's not playing man coverage anymore I'm sure they are but like being better at playing more zone so they could be more multiple and not be as I guess predictable and if that's what's happened with Oklahoma State they're just throwing more man into the the mix and like it's become this kind of defense or I'm sorry more zone into the mix it makes me think why wasn't that there to begin with? I don't understand. But then again, maybe that's just Jim Knowles. Like maybe his style, his, his entire career has been one thing. And, that's and throughout the offseason, he was like, ah, I, I, 
I got to change some things up here. And whatever he's done has worked. And like I know he, he was at Duke for a while, and he had he had okay defenses, but it's the ACC, it's Duke. This has got to be by far his best best season ever, and he's got to be the 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 favorite for the Broyles Award right now. I you know I doubt he will. I'm sure someone from Georgia will win it. That's just kind of how a lot how that how that works a lot of the time. Yeah, but isn't Kirby smart? They're they're defensive like he's their defensive guy, right? I mean, I mean, I I have no Kirby. idea. I like I don't at this point in time. I don't think it's a stretch to say Oklahoma State's got the second best defense in college football. I mean, it's there. I mean, it's they 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 eviscerated Texas Tech's offense, and Tech can move the ball. That's that's not a that's not a terrible offense. Yeah. So here's the thing about Oklahoma State's defense to back up what you just said. Oklahoma State's defense has not allowed. A legitimate touchdown and by legitimate touchdown I mean a non-garbage time touchdown they have not allowed a non-garbage time touchdown since they lost to Iowa State that, that <laughs> they gave up a couple of garbage time touchdowns at TCU last week garbage time fourth quarter touchdowns they have not allowed a non-fourth quarter non-garbage time touchdown since Iowa State about a month ago I mean, that is incredible. Uh, this defense is just strangling people. They're really good. They're really, really good. Um, it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be interesting going back and watch because I didn't watch a lot of that Iowa State game, the, the one game they lost. Uh, going to have to gonna have to go back and watch that and see how Iowa State scored. I mean, that's going to be a huge, a, a huge piece of the puzzle. Because, I mean, I watched, I watched Baylor, Oklahoma State. Baylor didn't do anything in that game. They, they really struggled to move the ball. A large portion of it, and there I, I would say Baylor, you know, is the other kind of good offense in the league, along with the others. I, you know, Texas, I, Texas's offense when they were fully healthy was good, but I don't know. It's I mean, it, it's it's going to be I mean, it's going to be a huge a huge challenge. It obviously makes me feel a lot better that Oklahoma State's offense is 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 so limited, and they are they really are limited. All right, we're running a little bit longer than we thought. Let's run. Uh, Get some more three-word reviews from Twitter. Gabe Burkich's Heisman. By the way, Gabe Burkich. Boy, he's fallen off a cliff the last couple of games. My God. Uh, his three-word review is, what is happening? <laughs> uh, ben, always uh, always a sunny, rosy guy, Ben. Just kidding. Ben's always very pessimistic. Says, not championship material, but in this case, Ben, you're 100% correct. Uh, T-Bone says, Perion murdered somebody. Would you rather, says play calling sucks separate the noise more positive says yet another win uh at z campbell 13 says the offense sucks <laughs> dan says playbook redu redux i never know how to pronounce that word r-e-d-u-x is it's it redux redo. or redu it's redu? redu are you sure pretty sure yeah really I'll look that up. Playbook I always, redo required. I always say Redux just so people understand what I like. If I'm t typically, typically, ap Apocalypse Now is the only time anyone ever uses that word. Yeah, I'll look that up though. I don't, I don't trust you for a second, man. Not for one second. Pronounce Redux. Pronounce. Re okay. Well, there's no way. I mean, Google. Oh. It's telling me Redux, <laughs> but now I'm, I'm now I'm actually thinking that you might be correct because like it's that, a that French word. That. It's a French word, so it's probably like Redu. Oh, is it really? There's a Reddit a Reddit uh, 
thing that's from August of 2018 that says Redux R E R E D U X is not pronounced redo people. Oh. Mm. Well, here's another one that says, "All right, how do you pronounce R E D U X?" And they reference Apocalypse Now. Oh, somebody on the message board says, "Isn't it pronounced redo?" And then somebody else says Redux. Oh my! Uh, oh my gosh! This is this is crazy, man. Who cares? Can we move on? Who cares? Yeah, that's stupid. Um, Billy says, "Just win, baby!" With the Al Davis gif. That's hey, I'm still saying uh, that's 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 the mindset to have. Uh, you know, if 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 you don't want to drive yourself crazy, I think that's 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 sure. the mindset to have. I've been. Like, you know, one of my one of my biggest disappointments from this season is, you know, and we've talked about this before, but I, you know, I, I love to rewatch games. I love to revisit games. I love to. And the worst part about that this season is that it's it's not fun at all to rewatch the games. They, they've all been really difficult to watch. But it's one of those things where I feel like the season will be a lot more will be a lot easier to rewatch once we know how it ends. Once we know how the story ends. I think it'd be a lot. It's going to be a lot easier to revisit a lot of this stuff. Ooh. But as it's, but as it's going through, just because it's just you have no idea what it's going to be. They have been, like the highs and lows of this team this season have been. So, I mean, just so absurdly weird, so absurdly weird. Um, and they, like they've almost had they've almost had three or four different seasons already within their season, where they've looked like <laughs> totally different teams. And it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's clearly just the weirdest season I've ever seen as an OU, as an OU football fan. And of course, the high expectations at, be, at, at the beginning of the season are going to contextualize everything. That's why everyone's miserable. I mean, that's why everyone, like everyone, this is, there, there's a lot of different things here. One, I, I, I do think the playoff and then the, you know, the emphasis on, on the narrative always being about having to look really good is driving people insane. I think a really big part of it, and I've talked about this before, is Alabama fatigue in the sense that everyone sees what the what what the standard is right now. You kind everyone knows what national championship teams look like before they get to the playoff and win the national championship, and everyone knows that oh, you just doesn't look like that. So it's just it's kind of just it's so it, it makes it a lot harder to enjoy these wins, especially with the expectation expectations coming into the season. It's just a lot harder to look at it in the sense that hey remove the scores of the games and this is the exact same position OU has been in in you know four of Riley's five or three of his first four seasons right it's the exact same position one loss going into the final week of November you know it's and I that's that's where it gets yeah I mean that's that's where it's just like I really wish that they mandated that you had to win your conference championship to get to the to a playoff of some sort, because that would make the conference championship just that much more meaningful. Or I just wish they would get rid of conference championship games altogether, and we can just do away with them, and then have a bigger playoff. And uh, but uh, that's a discussion that we've had many times before. We can have it probably in the future. Oh, by the way, did you see? Uh, uh, okay, hold on. We'll end with this. I, I got to remember it, but I, I got three more three-word reviews. Brad says Jalen Redmond difference. Wanted to give Jalen Redmond some more publicity. Uh, Coffee Jedi says WTF. And uh, talking about the offense. And lastly, Mike says Turk punted great. So how about Michael Turk getting some love? How about 
How about that uh, that 60-yard punt or whatever at the end of the game? And Brian Osamoa, like a missile, just coming down. Like, he had his back turned. He, he took out, it seeming like, two different guys and pushed into the, the punt returner, which allowed Trevon West to end up making that nice tackle to make that like a, a 61 or 62-yard net on that punt, which was huge to make Iowa State go basically the length of the field. So that, that, uh, that goes into the evidence of what you said at the very beginning of the podcast that Brian Osamoa might have played his best game. Definitely back-to-back his two best games as a Sooner, no doubt about it. Osamoa's looked great. That's a nice little pleasant surprise that's happened here in, in, the, in, in this part of the season. Whereas, I mean, I, I thought there's been times this year where Osamoa's just been downright bad at, at times this year. And it's, it, it's nice to see him actually improve as the season's gone on. And to see him, you know, yeah, obviously play his two best games of the season here in November when they needed to have it. So I, if and you hope that that can continue because I mean he's a heat-seeking missile right now. Like you can when he is when he is decisive and he is not busting and he knows where he's supposed to be, he can get there pretty quickly. And I think we're 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 seeing that pretty consistently in the last the last couple games. All right, the last thing I want to bring up real quick and. <clears throat> Do you happen to see this thing? Dan Patrick reported like earlier this week that a 12-team college football playoff uh, could be approved as early as like next month for next season. But now I'm, I'm seeing, I guess Brett McMurphy's like, nah, that's not true. Like this is this is not this is bogus. Uh, this isn't going to happen. Uh, so I mean, Dan Patrick's a pretty credible guy. He's been around forever. I know he he's broken news on his show before. That's been good. So I, I, maybe he got bad sourcing here. But anyways, my point is. I hope I hope Dan Patrick's right, and I hope that it does get expanded, and by next year we're talking about a bigger playoff because the current situation is dumb. But I'm a when it comes to playoff stuff, I think the smart way to approach it is to be pessimistic because it's taken us this long just to get to four. So like it's probably not going to happen anytime soon. But I just wanted to see if you saw that story and if you had any thoughts on it. I saw it. Um, who knows if he's right? Who knows if Brett Murphy is right? I mean, if you follow any of the reporting that's come out of this news the last six months, it's just it's it's bipolar. Depends on what day yeah. it is, what what they're what, what they're going to decide on and what they're feeling. So we'll see. I mean, I really hope they're trying to get it done for next year. Why not? I don't know. Why not? Yeah, uh, I guess the Athletic has reported. Nicole Auerbach said that from what her what she's seen and reported on that the earliest it can expand is twenty twenty four. It's like, and I know a lot of that has to do with with contracts and money and all that legal stuff. I get it. That's probably a big reason. And to to, to that, my response is: figure it out, break them. Who cares? Break the contracts. Get out of here. Like, who cares? Like, let's. I don't. I don't care about your contracts, ESPN. I don't care about. I want better products on the. I want more meaningful football, and we shouldn't have to wait this long for it to happen. We shouldn't, and I think this is the last thing. You, you've made this, you made this point a lot last year. Maybe you made it in the offseason. And maybe you made this point talking about the playoff. We learned last season how quickly games can be scheduled in less than a week. This whole thing about scheduling games out 10 years in advance that we've always made fun of in college football, it's, it's a joke. It's stupid. I mean, you don't have to do that. These things can be moved around and changed really fast if – Certain people that have power and are in charge actually want to do it. So do it. And I guess my only sort of uh, assumption can be that a lot of people that have power 
don't really want to do it, at least not yet, because it's just eh. either they have, again, contracts, uh, TV contracts, conference stuff now with Oklahoma and Texas going to the SEC. All of this stuff goes into it. Uh, it just it just it's a shame that they're like, I'm, it's just a shame that those in charge, certain people in charge don't want to get this stuff done as fast as it seems like a, a lot of people do. Well, I don't want to I don't want to read anybody's mind about you know what their what their motivations are what what I will say is that I think and I said this a lot during you know in the lead up to the covid season as well the path is there all you need now is the will to to implement it that that's 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 all it is the path is there I don't think I I don't like I I I'm sorry anything that you say right now but up oh, logistically we can't do it it's not that's that's a bunch of malarkey that's crap you can absolutely make this happen just the will needs to be there to do it no, I think we need another year or two of uh, clandestine meetings where guys get into rooms uh, and, and travel hours and hours to destinations to get in a boardroom and get a, a dry erase board and, and, and put up playoff ideas of eight teams or 12 teams or 24 teams, and it takes a year of planning to do it. I, just, I still think that story that uh, I, I can't remember the, the college football reporter had from Sports Illustrated, Dellinger, from like months ago where it was Sankey and... Bob Bowlesby and those those guys. that was such a st- I I hated that so much it just get get out and it, we made the joke like you and I could get in a room and figure this out in a freaking weekend in a, in a day it, it like the only thing that that would take time in my opinion is just all of the logistics with contracts and conferences and like actually figuring out how to do the playoff with teams stuff like that that give give us an evening we got it that's it, where I that and that you know hey like and the reality of the situation is there are those contracts and regardless of which way that you go there are people's there are some people's interests who are not going to be met there and so of course they're going to push they're going to act what's in their best interest or their what they feel is their institution's best interest and that may not be in the best interest of the rest of the sport which is why I wish as an institution it was and this is this is about as as deep as I'll ever go into you know, criticizing anyone, you know, about stuff being all about the money, which I typically I think is is, is an overplayed hand about 100% of the time. But this is where I wish the institution of college football and these people making these decisions was all within the context of we're all college football fans and we just want to see what the coolest thing is possible for college football. We're going to make a lot of money regardless of what we decide. But I just, I wish their mind frame was, man, I just, I, I want to make the coolest experience possible for the programs, the kids playing, and the fans because that's what matters. And I know, and like, hey, you and, know, I and I realize that in 2021, that's not that's just not the reality. It should be, and I don't. I really don't think there's anyone who, you know, at an emotional level, even at a logical level, that would disagree with that. Uh, yeah, and I know we've talked about this before. The idea of changing this and making an expanded playoff there's probably an avenue where there's probably more money in that than the current system anyways so like it, yeah but yeah okay uh but anyway my main thing though is that that story unless i'm misremembering it didn't really seem to to really focus in on kind of the logistical stuff with contracts and time it was more about them spending all of this time to figure out how many teams should we have like if I remember that correctly, reading that story, that was the biggest part of it, which was just like, 
give me a break. Give me a break, guys. Like you do it all it just came off to me as these guys going on these business trips and I use square scare quotes uh, and to expense them with their their conferences to hang out with their buddies in a room and in whatever you know cities they worked in. The that's cynical what it came side off of me, to me. The cynical side of me thinks that's probably a factor. Yeah. Um, because like again, I said, yeah, you, guy here it, who, and who also, follows. This was over the and this is over the time whenever everything was over Zoom. Remember? Oh, let's do things over Zoom. We can't meet in person. Yet they were doing that. It's like, and again, like I, I think the whole Zoom thing. A lot of it is really dumb. But it, again, it's like if you actually were trying to figure something out, uh, you could have figured something out. It just didn't seem like they really figured anything out, uh, especially for how much how much time they took. Anyways, this is this is stupid. Uh, okay, um, we will be back later this week to talk about Bedlam and we'll uh we'll, by then we'll know we'll know uh how much Oklahoma State's favored by that should be interesting that's like two and a half or something that's my guess my first thought was three or three and a half um and I think but man I and I yeah, I don't know I think if Oklahoma State opens favored I think the sharps are going to be on OU like overwhelmingly maybe maybe Oklahoma State, though, I think has taken a lot of people to the window recently. Ever since the Iowa State game, I think they've they had to have covered every single game. I mean, they've been blowing people out. So, um, okay. Until next time, we are done here. For Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to the show. And if you want to help us spread the word, please leave us a five-star review. And also, tell all of your friends who are OU fans about West of Everest. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.